episode seven is here chance pratt your host and hope everyone's staying safe with the coronavirus practicing some social distancing and whatnot going on the outdoors going to catch some hot walleye bites here and there this past weekend but we have ethan berger on today from northern michigan to talk about grouse hunting woodcock hunting and some fly fishing he guides them all up in northern Michigan. He's been doing it for quite a while. He runs his German short hair pointer for grouse and woodcock traveling through those woods and runs a drift boat and a sable boat and even does some walking for fly fishing guides in the rivers up there. So hope you guys can get a kick out of it and enjoy. All right, we are live with episode seven of Living the Guide Life with your host, Chance Pratt. And today we have Ethan Berger on with Wing and Hook from Northern Michigan to talk about guiding grouse and fly fishing up in uh, Northern Michigan. How are we doing, Ethan? Hey, good chance. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. To, uh, talk to you today. Absolutely, it's great to have you on. Yeah. How? Uh, I, know we had a, I know we had. A, I know we had a hiccup uh, last week, but uh, just a little bit of time difference. So yeah, got to straight away. No. Absolutely glad. Uh, glad you could join me this week. Uh, yeah, really wanted to have you on here about Northern Michigan. That's one of my favorite spots in uh, the United States for sure. Oh yeah, yeah beautiful spot. Um, Northwoods, Michigan. There. I got a little bit of everything for everybody, whether you're a deer hunter, bird hunter, fisherman, trapper. It's uh, kind of the all all around outdoor uh, place to be. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, My buddy sometimes brings me up to his grandparents' place up in the UP, and we go up there. And then also we have my dad belongs to a golf club up in Traverse City. And okay. so. Yep. We go yep. up there in the summers and stuff, and it's a lot of fun. Yep, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, but how are you guys dealing with uh, Corona over in Michigan? I know your uh, governor's a little, little rowdy. <laughs> yeah, she's she's definitely causing some uh, some wake. Um, not to get political, but yeah, I mean you, you're you're either on one side of the fence or the other. But um, in terms of um, guiding, it's been a rough spring. Uh, she had she had guiding. Um, it, it's it's obviously not an essential uh, uh, business, I guess. Um, but so she had it she had it shut down. Uh, we just opened up, or she just opened up guiding the allowance of guiding May seventh. So uh, tri- trips are getting booked. Uh, people are out fishing, and uh, the river's looking good. Um, so there, there's some there's some rules that we still had to have to adhere to with uh, with her new guiding order, but uh, we're we're all back in business. So it should be a good good spring and summer for us. Yeah, absolutely. How'd that affect you guys? Because I know your trout season started April 25th, wasn't it? Around there. Yeah. So what, yep. Yep. Last Saturday in April. 
so yeah, I think this year it ended up being the 26th, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that's, that's really just for rivers that have a closed season. Um, there's a lot of rivers in Northern Michigan, um, that are actually open all year. So you can fish for trout all year on certain stretches of certain rivers. So, um, and one of the, one of the activities that the governor allowed, uh, with this pandemic is uh, outdoor activities, uh, including fishing. So, so you were able to fish by yourself or by with, um, with members of like your family that you lived with. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you on that. I, uh, I noticed she, for a little bit, people were talking about that there was like no motorized boats or anything out in Michigan. You couldn't go on too. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, the beginning. I want to say of her, uh, of her um, contested, uh, contested decisions. Yeah, she she did ban motorboating for a little bit, and right now uh, she opened motorboating back up, luckily. But when she did ban it, it was the beginning of a lot of guys' walleye seasons. Uh, we have some amazing walleye fisheries in Michigan. Um, and it, as soon, like when she closed down motorboating, it closed down a lot of seasons for a lot of <laughs> a lot of people who catch a lot of walleye. So it, it really riled a lot of people up. Yeah, I was seeing everywhere on social media that people were getting pretty, yeah. pretty yeah. mad. Yeah, it, yeah, it wasn't a it, it wasn't a good thing if you were a walleye fisherman. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hear you on that. Um, but yeah, have you been out on the trout streams? Oh yeah. Yep. Um, haven't done any official, um, guide trips as okay. of yet. I mean, like I said, it just opened up three days ago. Yeah. Got it. Got several books already, but, um, but yeah, no, I've been fishing by myself. Um, or I take a family member, um, and the river now is, is it's good, man. It's, um, it was a little high for a little bit. We had a high water event a um, couple of weeks ago that raised the river up and kind of screwed with hatches. But um, no, man, it's, it's it's back to normal and it's good. Uh, now we're just dealing with a dealing with a cold snap that uh, slowed down some hatches and some spinner falls. But you can work around it, still catch fish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this week over yep. in Minnesota, it got it got cold. It went from like. 76 to yesterday it was 39 where i'm at and then up north it was snowing and so it like yesterday was yesterday was fishing opener for us and so a lot of people were fishing in the snow (laughs) up north but like for walleyes and stuff like that but we've been yeah we've been fishing trout um down in down south and then fishing streamers and stuff like that. Are you guys, what are you guys catching them on out there? Do you guys? Um, with, with the cold weather uh, that, that's come in the past several days, it's streamer fishing. Um, it, but once this, once this weather snap goes away, once it starts warming up, it'll, it'll go back to dry fly fishing. Um, the Hendrickson's are, are, um, are going on right now. It's really the first major hatch of uh, Northern Michigan. Okay. Um, caddis, uh, blue wing olives—they come a little bit before Hendrickson's, but they they stay around a while. Yeah. Um, 
So right right now it's with the cold snap it's streamer fishing, but uh, as soon as it goes away, it will go back to Hendrickson's dry fly. Yeah. So, yep. That's a lot of fun. I love fishing dry flies. It's. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's um. Uh, it's like uh, I, I I just consider it kind of nostalgic, I guess, dry fly fishing, but. I mean, I, I'm a streamer junkie, so I don't mind. I don't mind getting out in December and you know stripping streamers for six hours, and maybe hopefully seeing a fish. But yeah, dry fly fishing, there's there's definitely something something to it. And uh, the Asable River is is an amazing dry fly fishery. Yeah. Do you tie your own flies at all? Yep. I, I would say um, this is just a, a guess. But it, I, I probably tie eighty-five percent of the flies that myself and my clients use. Oh, nice! And then I, you know, buy another fifteen, twenty percent of of what we use. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's just cost-effective. Yeah. Um, you know, flies get get beat up, and especially on large trout or, um, you know, sometimes smallmouth bass will will go up for dry flies. So. They, they get beat up pretty quickly, and uh, it's just cost-effective to, to tie your own flies. Oh, absolutely. I I just recently, probably in the last year, started tying my own flies because I got pretty big into fly fishing in southern Minnesota. So, oh, okay. I've yep. been... It's, a, it's like an addiction, man. Once you get started, it's hard to... <laughs> It's hard to get away from the vice and hard to get away from the fly shops and all the material racks and stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> it can be an addiction. Oh, big time. Yeah, and I mean, it's fun, too, just on a rainy day, go tie a few flies yep. and be able to... Yep, that's probably one of my, my favorite wintertime activities is to, to sit behind the vice and, and just knock out a bunch of flies. Yeah. Yep. And it's super cool to see them bite on flies that you've tied i feel like for me at least oh yeah yeah it's like the pinnacle Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but there is like you said there is some flies that are pretty pretty hard to tie that you got to just go make a purchase on or whatever it is um yeah oh yeah yep i completely agree or uh some material or yeah some material might be kind of hard to find so you gotta you gotta buy you know buy flies that have that certain material so you just yeah you just go with uh, buying flies instead of buying material that you rarely use yeah so yeah i i completely fit oh yeah i hear you on that so for your guys is um guiding season what does your guiding season kind of look like from may to when a when does it end really when do you stop guiding for uh, fly fishing? The, the the peak of the trout fishing ends, I would say, in uh, in September. Okay. Um, your your hardcore clients that just repeatedly want to get out will will go really until December. But so from May to September, and we'll start with May. It's it's um, hopefully dry fly fishing. At ninety five percent of the time, it's going to be dry fly fishing. Um, Hendrickson is a major hatch, uh, blueing olives, caddis. Then once it starts warming up, um, around the end of May, early June, the bigger bugs start coming out like the, uh, the brown drakes. Um, that's, that's probably my favorite hatch. Um, just a, just a big bug that, that kind of really, in my opinion, it really wakes up the big fish. 
and uh, you're fishing for these for these bigger fish at night, you know, so you're this low light. Um, after brown drake, brown drake, it goes to the hex fishing, which is the biggest um, mayfly or biggest fly that we have in Michigan. I mean, some some of the hex flies can get like three inches long with the tails. I mean, they're they're crazy big. Um, whenever you hear Michiganders talk about fish flies, they're usually referring to uh, the hex. And um, that that's that's done at night as well. It, um, I have clients out sometimes until three in the morning. It just kind of depends on what the, what the weather of the night is doing. Um, you know, you want a couple nights in a row of, of at least 65 degrees. You want slower water, muckier bottom. Um, so, yeah, you, you might be out at night until three in the morning just kind of waiting for the hatch or the spinner fall to happen. Yeah. And then uh, after hex, it, um, the nights really get warm. The, the days really get hot. And so you might even take a little bit of a slowdown and only fish the cooler days just because when the rivers get above 70 degrees, which some of them do, some stretches do, uh, you don't really want to lay the fish a whole lot. You, and you, you know, you, you want to you want to be considerate to the resource. So trout yeah. don't like water over 70 degrees. There's no reason to fight a big trout um, for several minutes in 70 plus degree water. So you might take a little bit of a slowdown in July. Okay. And then, um, but if, it, if it's not a super hot night or super hot days and, and super warm nights and the water's below 70, you'll, you'll fish hoppers on the grassy edges, you know, the banks. Yeah. And, uh, during the day and then you can fish at night with uh, mouth patterns you know these they're almost like streamers you throw them with seven weights eight weight fly rods and uh you're fishing pitch black nights waiting for something to erupt on the water with your mouse mouse fly absolutely yeah that's and and, and that'll go that'll go really until september um september in michigan it's still pretty warm i mean i remember last year it was it was stupid warm still in <laughs> September, so um, yeah, that's that's pretty much our in, in a nutshell our, our Michigan fly season. Absolutely. And I was looking at your um, your website here and was looking at some of the boats you use as well. The how do you say it? Aus stable um, boat, river boat. Yep the the Ausable the Ausable river boat. Yeah. Yep. They were. Um, Mine's uh, 24 feet long. That's a pretty standard standard length on the Asalba River boat. Some are a little shorter, uh, like 22 feet. Just kind of depends on the maker. Okay. But just a little little history on them. They they um, were designed um, back in the logging days, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s in Grayling, Michigan. And uh, what they would do is they would throw these boats together in Grayling, Michigan, at the basically the headwaters of the Asable, the Asable River, yeah. and they would float down river, and they would bring supplies, tools, food, um, cookware, a little bit of everything in these in these long boats that that draft a very low amount of water. You can float these boats in inches of water. Oh wow. And um, so they, they they would float all the way down to Oscoda, 
which is on Lake Huron shoreline where the Otsable dumps into Lake Huron. They would uh, dismantle the boats and they would ship them back to Grayling, throw them back together and just repeat it. That's so really cool. cool yeah, so it's a little bit of uh, a nostalgic feeling for the for the client to be able to float down in a Sobble River boat. Yeah. Um, they're they're kind of connected with the Sobble River boat is connected with uh, with Northern Michigan and the history of of the area. Yeah, I was gonna say I've never seen one until I was looking at your website, and I was thinking that's that's a pretty cool way to fish. Yeah, no, yeah, they're um, they're interesting to fish out of. Um, you got to get used to it a little bit. They're they're a little a little tippier than a. I mean, they're a little tippier than than a drift boat than your standard drift boat. But yeah, honest, honestly, you, you just by looking at them, you would think they're extremely tippy. They're not <laughs> extremely tippy. They they really aren't. Um, you can stand on the gunnels and not tip the boat. So oh, wow. that, that's pretty impressive for, for how long and narrow they are. It's just the way they're designed and um, the way they float. So it, it, it takes a little bit of getting used to working on a smaller space, smaller platform when casting, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun, man. It's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. That'd be, that'd be really cool to fish out of one. Um, but do you guys, what's kind of your main way of fishing? Because I know you fish drift boats and then the Asabo. And then walking too. Um, what's your what's your choice when you're fishing? Oh yeah, it's tough. It's um, it's it's one of two things. It's either the Asable River boat or the drift boat. Um, it kind of just depends on on what the client wants to do, um, what how they want to fish, and and where we are going to fish that night. Um, so there there are certain stretches stretches of rivers that are just too deep for the river boat because another thing with the river boat is you don't paddle it, you pull it. Oh, okay. So kind of like a, like a skiff on a flat, you know, in, in Florida. Yeah. You pull it. So you need somewhat shallow water to be able to pull. Um, so if, you, if you're working, a, if you want to fish a, a deeper stretch of river, you really need to go to the, the drift boat. And, and most of my trips are on the drift boat, I, I will say that. But uh, every so often, a client really wants to get in an Sable River boat, or they um, they want to fish a certain stretch of river that uh, the Sable River boat's really built for. Yeah. And uh, but most of my fishing, to answer your question uh, shortly, most of my fishing is done out of a drift boat. Okay. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. I've fished in a drift boat only a handful of times when we were out in montana and they're okay they're yep. fun they're fun to fish out of they're, you can cover a lot of ground and a ton of water yeah yep. a, ton of water. a ton of water yep. and so yep. that's yeah they're uh, they're real conducive to uh to comfortable trips um to cooking I, I bring a grill oh, wow. with, with me on the, on the on the river or uh excuse me the drift boat um you know we grill you name it right right on the boat um, yeah. or at least on the on the shore you can carry a ton of gear um all all the rods you want i mean yeah mm-hmm. they're they're a nice tool to have for sure yeah oh i can imagine we we don't have any real spots to use a drift boat in minnesota so the only time i've been able to do oh. it was out in montana most of the rivers that 
we fish out here um it's all smaller smaller water um i mean there is there is some bigger rivers but the fishing's so much better in when you find those little creeks so okay all right that's what we try to do um but yeah drift boat fishing is it's a good time yeah yep it's um it's awesome it's a really good time yeah and so how did you get started with all this um what made you start guiding oh um i would say my my cousin um really got me into fly fishing and and especially guiding um my cousin guided for a pretty uh reputable well not pretty reputable a very reputable lodge on the west side of the state okay um and so he, he got me into fly fishing years ago, and he, he just watching him basically be on the river every day and uh, being able to be outside every day and get people on their first fish or biggest fish. Yeah. It was just, it's something that appealed to me. And um, I, uh, several years ago, I actually went to uh, a guide school out in Montana. And you don't have to go to a guide school, but I, I really wanted to learn the ins and outs of guiding. Absolutely. Um, and so I went to a, a guide school in Montana, and I uh, I jumped, uh, you know, I, I jumped into it. And, yeah, the rest is history, I guess, as they say. That's awesome. That's that's yeah. awesome. Did you do some fishing while you were out in Montana? Oh yeah, yep. Did um, actually that guide school is pretty cool how it's set up. You fish every day, um, and you're kind of split up into groups, and then within the groups you guide each other. And so while oh, wow. one while one guy is guiding uh, and learning the ins and outs of guiding, the other um, members in the group are fishing. Okay. So you're guiding you're guiding your classmates, and there's teachers as well, or uh, there's you know. Um, yeah, I guess we'll call them teachers as yeah. well that are in the boats, uh, teaching different things, how to read water. Luckily, I already knew how to how to row a drift boat. I had a drift boat prior to going to guide school, so that wasn't a big. Um, oh, nice. It wasn't a big learning curve for me, but um, that that's one of the main things that you learn is how to read water, row a drift boat, um, operate a jet boat. So, yeah. yep, definitely did definitely did some fishing when I was there. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. What part of Montana were you out in? We were a little east of Livingston, um, Livingston, Montana, fishing the Yellowstone River. Oh, cool. That's really so neat. So we were, I, I believe I believe the county's name was Sweetwater County, uh, which is a little east of Livingston. You know, it's kind of on the southern, southern portion of Montana. Okay. Yeah, we, uh, when we go out in the summer... We make a trip for like a week out to Montana to fly fish, and we go out on go? on the Madison over in Ennis. So, oh, okay, yeah, Ennis, yep, yeah. Yep. So an hour's southwest of Bozeman. Yeah, yep, yeah. Um, I'm familiar with uh, with with Ennis for sure. Yeah, Ennis is a great spot to fish. I had, I mean, right as you go into town, it says the population of people is like 850. And then the trout population is like 11.5 million. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's really, really a fun spot to go fish. There's a bunch of a couple of guides that I 
the first year we went out there, I uh, went out with my grandpa and we did a guided trip out there, which was, which was really cool. They have a bunch of fly shops there and stuff, so that's, it's awesome. They give yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Give, give you some tips on where to, where to go or what to catch if you're just walking, um, the rivers and stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was a blast. Yeah, those fly shops, man. They uh, they're the go-to source for information. That's it's a, one of the tricky things with this pandemic going on right now. Fly shops had to be closed down and yeah. Um, it's kind of getting off track, but a lot of the fly shops are, you know, having to do uh, curbside pickup or, um, you know, mail orders and stuff. So yeah. I can only imagine how how tough it is for them right now, but that's another, another story, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is there quite a bit of fly shops up where you're at? Um, Grayling has three... Um, oh, nice. Three dominant fly shops and then uh the little town of uh luzerne has one or excuse me levels not luzerne uh levels has a a nice fly shop and then mayo has a pretty decent fly shop and that's pretty much it um so there yeah all in all in that area there's about five fly shops that uh that are really reputable and a lot of people go to okay that's awesome what kind of yeah. what kind of trout are you catching up in northern Michigan? Every, every browns, rainbows, and brooks. Um, the primary target is is definitely brown trout, especially on those warmer June nights. Um, June when you're fishing the hex and the brown drakes, that's when the big brown trout really come out. Um, it, it's it's. It's an odd night if you don't catch one over 20 inches when the hex hex is on. Jeez. Um, but then there's there's certain stretches that are definitely better suited towards brook trout, um, shallower, uh, cooler, cooler water stretches. Yeah. Um, and then we also have we also have rainbow trout. Um, not as many. You won't catch as many. Um, but they're a lot of fun. They fight like a freight train, especially good-sized ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we have uh, Brook Brown and Rainbow. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Over here, I know the Browns have taken over quite a bit over the native brook trout, um, the streams that yeah. we fish. Do you guys see that as well up there? Yeah, there's a study going on in, in the on the north branch of the Upsalble River. Um, which is primarily a brook trout fishery. Um, and some of the surveys that they've been doing over the years has, um, it's put to light that the brook trout population has been going down. And one of the, uh, hypothesis, I guess, if you want to call it that, is that the brown trout are actually moving in and basically taking over eating. Uh, preying on the the brook trout, so they're they're trying to see what they can do about that, and hopefully they get it straightened away because the north edge of the Asabal is an amazing brook trout fishery. So yeah, we'll, we'll see in a couple of years, hopefully. Oh yeah, I, that's what we've seen. I mean, we we'll catch a brook trout every once in a while, but it's it's pretty hard to come by. And that's what they were talking about out in Montana, too. They said the uh, 
brown trout just take over and eat everything and then the brooks have nothing nothing left yep and so yep yep brook trout are pretty susceptible to uh, predators whether it's uh, another fish or um especially in in michigan i'm not sure how minnesota works but this um brown trout prey on it and then um a lot of birds of prey like eagles you know yeah hawks. um they they do uh they do a number on the population too. The, the brook trout are pretty susceptible to, uh, to predators. Yeah. Oh, big time. Do you guys ever fish steelhead? I do, I don't guide for steelhead, but I definitely um, I definitely do it personally. Uh, usually the winter months um, when the my guiding season has really slowed down, uh, I, I do you know a trip a month for streamers. But yeah, so personally I. I get after the steelhead, um, usually on the west side of the state. That's where the better steelhead numbers are. But there are, there are there's, there's little runs here and there on the east side of the state. Um, so, yeah, those steelhead are a lot of fun, man. Some of fun. Yeah, that's, that's one of my goals is to go try to chase some steelhead. I know up in Duluth and Minnesota, they get a they get a good run up there, and I got to okay. make I got to make a trip up there one of these, one of these winters. But um, they seem like a seem like a blast to go cast at, and I heard the fights were oh, yeah. real fun. Oh yeah, hold on to your rod, man, because they will take you for a run. <laughs> hold on, uh, it's crazy, it's insane. Yeah, uh, if you're if you're fly fishing for them, it's nothing to get into your backing on a, on a steelhead on a fresh fresh run steelhead. Yeah. It's a good chance that it's going into your backing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's that's really awesome. What are um so you're talking about you catch some twenty inch browns later. Um what's the biggest trout you've seen or caught out out there? The biggest in my boat's been a twenty six. Uh which is a very, very uh respectable brown trout. <laughs> I I missed the fish. Uh, it's two years ago now. I can still picture the fish, and I can still picture the exact spot where my streamer was going through. Uh, um, I swear, I if, honestly, if if I had to guess how big the fish was, it was thirty inches. It, it was just a, a snake of a brown trout. Um, <laughs> but I got I got so excited as it was coming up that <laughs> it's just like a newbie mistake. I just I completely froze and the fish thought and uh swam away oh. <laughs> oh. yeah that'll yeah. happen that yep it happens uh it happens to the best of us especially when a monster fish comes through your streamer <laughs> oh exactly yeah the jitters start coming out a little bit <laughs> oh yeah yep <laughs> but <laughs> the jitters don't the jitters don't go away either. oh yeah <laughs> for, the for, for the rest of the float you're still jittering <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's that's really awesome. I think the biggest we've seen out here is like twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three, probably. That's still really nice, really nice brown trout. That's, yeah, yeah. Anything yeah. over twenty inches for uh, a trout in my book is it's a great fish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of the, that's kind of the mark here for for northern Michigan uh, where we're at. Is it was it twenty inches? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a really good fish. That's that's kind of the, our uh, our goal, I guess. Absolutely. Do you guys run across them uh, 
like how how much do you run across like a 20 inch fish um i mean fairly often uh the especially so the uh especially on the ensemble uh we have our first we the ensemble dammed it's a dammed river um there's there's five dams and our first dam so our furthest upstream dam is called mile dam and the the water below mile dam for several miles is it's called the trophy water and that's where your best chance at a 20 inch fish 20 plus inch fish is going to be and um it it happens a lot It, it really does um stripping streamers in october and november a great time of year the trout are putting the feed bags on for the winter or um midsummer when the hex hatch is happening and these three inch long mayflies are floating across their face um they're they're gonna rise for them and you, you got a really good shot at, at catching a 20 inch fish that's awesome that's yep that's really cool yeah we uh we run run across them every once in a while. Our our kind of average is eighteen, if eighteen okay. eighteen nineteen yep. area. That's where we see a lot of our fish. But every once in a while, we'll peak the twenty, get up into that range. But yeah, it's it's definitely really sweet to see some like lockjaw trout and yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. Big male, a big male brown trout with a with a kite on his, you know, in his fall colors and stuff. There's, yeah. there's something to it for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Those fall colors are just beautiful. Yep. Absolutely beautiful. Yep. Um, but yeah, but you were also doing some upland hunting and how's yep. that, how's yep. that going? Good. Uh, um, I don't do as many upland hunts, uh, guiding as, um, as fly fishing that's for sure um but yeah i also guide uh the north woods um for rough grouse and woodcock that's sweet um my dog my dog and i um i currently have one dog i've got another dog coming in august oh nice Um, that'll be that'll be ready next year so right now i'm running with one dog but um with the amount of trips that we do he gets plenty of rest yeah and um yeah so that's that's what we do in the fall this bird hunt yeah what made you pick uh german shorthair my my cousin not the same one i was talking about earlier but another cousin i've come from a family of all we have a lot of outdoorsmen in our family but anyways uh another cousin of mine he had a german shorthair and um it was something i was familiar with i liked the way it hunted i had hunted behind other german shore hairs uh prior to and um yeah so that was that was my choice that's awesome what are some yep. of the next dog, next, next dog i have coming is not a german shore here though so i'm oh, okay. kind of being a creator but uh i'm getting a setter oh this, nice this next round yep that'll be fun to play around with yeah, something a little different. Um, probably a little closer working the setter will be. Or yeah. That's that's my hope um, than the than the short hair. Um, but yeah, so kind of uh, two different hunting styles. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be fun. My my favorite part about upland hunting is watching dogs. Um, oh yeah, it's just so cool to see. I have I have a golden retriever, um, 
but he does he points pretty hard when it comes to pheasants oh, really? okay yeah he gets okay. he gets on a pretty strong point which is a lot of fun really easy when i'm like taking younger guys out uh with me and my group so then i can just walk up there and kind of show them show them where to aim and everything but yeah yeah no that's awesome uh, you don't see you don't see a whole lot of uh of, of goldens out which is, it's nice to hear someone hunting with one because it just seems like anymore the the goldens are kind of house pets and they're not really doing what they're actually bred to do so it's it's good to hear that uh that that you have one and you're hunting with it yeah yeah i was we were supposed to get a british lab but then um my cousins got a golden from a breeder and then my fan the rest of my family was like oh it'd be cool to have a brother sister dog and it worked out pretty good because he's he's a really good um pheasant dog could be a little better for duck and geese in the field but it's still fun to just have him out for sure and so yeah fun to chase those upland birds so you have you have good pheasant numbers by you where we're at so we're i'm like 20 minutes south of the cities 30 minutes south of the cities um minneapolis st paul area so right where we're at it's not great my buddy has some property that we go hunt that he put a bunch of pheasants out like three years ago and let him he let out like him and his dad let out like 500 pheasants um out on their property and so that's probably like one of our good spots around home um but other than that i try to go south um southeast minnesota I have a few properties that I can hunt down there just from asking around. And then also way on the western, like, South Dakota border that I try to make out there. I mean, it's it's like a three-hour trip out there, but I try to make, like, a day trip um, probably twice, three times a year out there. Get, like, five guys together and go chase some birds. And out there, if you find... Um, some good public with they plant standing corn out there and have some really big marshes like late december is a lot of fun because you can go walk those marshes without getting wet yep and yep that's that's in the the slews and stuff yep yep and that's that's our best that's our best area for pheasants i'd say in minnesota is out west on that south dakota border no doubt in my mind but i can still go down go down southern east minnesota and go kill a limit by myself that's where if i go like alone on a day trip it's just me and the dog i'll go out down there because it's like an hour so not a bad trip okay but it's still a lot of fun to just get the dog out walking around oh yeah Um, but yeah no it's it's a good time how uh how are the grouse and woodcock numbers where you guys are at that you've Uh, seen lately I I actually just got off the phone with um, a client for this season, and he was asking about the numbers. And I, I'm really optimistic about the grouse numbers. Um, I've heard a lot of drumming, like a lot of drumming. Um, so that's always a good sign. Granted, there's a lot of time between now and October, but it's a start. And then um, Woodcock, Michigan's 
I think for the past, I don't know how many years, but it's been at least several years, Michigan's always been number one in woodcock harvest. Oh, so wow. I'm not too worried about the woodcock. Um, so in, in Michigan, we can only run our dogs up till April 15th. So okay. from April 15th to July 15th, we can't run our dogs on on, um, on state or federal forest. Okay. So prior to April, so prior to April 15th, when the woodcock were coming back, um, my dog and I were running into a lot of woodcock. So that's another good sign. And granted, like I said, there's a lot of time from now till September, October, but it's a start. So to answer your question, um, I'm I'm expecting good numbers this fall. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your guys' is- really- I'll keep going. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I, I was really looking forward to this fall and seeing what it has in store. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you were saying you don't, you guys can't run the dogs. That Do you think that's been a factor of helping those numbers get up? Um, I like to think so. I mean, that, that's, a, that's the thought behind it is um, it protects um, nesting birds. Uh, woodcock, woodcock and grouse included, but obviously other other types of bird species as well. But um, so I like to think that 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 law has um, a positive effect on bird numbers. Whether it does or not, I I don't know, but um, I, I like to think it does. I I I I don't have a problem with the law, and I don't know any other. Um, bird hunter that's really into bird hunting that has a problem with the law either yeah Yeah. oh yeah i can imagine so when does when does your woodcock and grouse season start for you guys then what's the time period that you guys can hunt them so grouse opens september 15th um and it, it runs until our um the gun opener of deer season which is november 15th and then, so there's a break of grouse hunting from November 15th to November 30th. Excuse me. Um, there's a break in those 15 days for the deer hunters to do their thing. And then grouse will open back up. Um, grouse will open back up in December and run till the end of December. So that's, that's a grouse thing. And then um, woodcock... It's it opens the last. I, I got to get this right. It's the last Saturday in September is when Woodcock open up, and then it's federally it's a federally um, restricted bird. So it runs until I believe November first. It might be a little later, but honestly, by November first, ninety five percent of your Woodcock are gone, and you're not really hunting them because they've, they've gone south for the winter. Um, so don't quote me on the November 1st, but honestly, after about October 20th, I don't even, I'm not even hunting for woodcock anymore. It's just a grouse game after that point. Fair enough. Yeah. Yep. What do you do? Uh, do you do any scouting-wise for birds at all? Uh, yeah. Um, so prior to the April 15th um, dog run law, I guess I'll call it that. Um, we're definitely hitting covers, looking for new covers, um, running the dogs um, through the covers to see what the bird numbers are like. And then after July 15th, 
when you're conditioning your dog, there's no better way to condition your dog than in the grouse woods. So yeah, you're you're hitting new covers, um, you're hitting old covers as well. But um, yeah, you're you're scouting. When when I run my dog, even if I'm not hunting, I'm I'm running them in a in a place where I think there's going to be birds. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys hunt? Yeah. Do you guys hunt a lot of federal, um, state land, out there? Yeah, it's it's so where I am exactly exact. I'm right in the middle of the national forest, so I run a lot of um, a lot of federal land. Um, but also in northern Michigan, there's a ton of state land and state forests as well. So I I don't ever touch. I'm not going to say I don't ever, but I very rarely touch private land when I hunt grouse and woodcock. There's really no need to go knocking on doors for grouse and woodcock. There's hundreds of thousands of acres available publicly. uh, Well, actually, not hundreds of thousands. There's millions of acres available (laughs) to, uh, to public access. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we're pretty lucky in northern Michigan. It's... It's uh, some less densely populated area for sure, and uh, the, just nothing but Northwoods and state and federal lands. It's a, it's a good place to hunt for sure. Yeah. Does your government do uh, any projects out on that land, like to build habitat and stuff like that for them? Or? Yep. Yep. We have uh, Michigan has this program called GEMS, G E M S. It's Grouse Enhanced management um for the life of me i can't remember what that stands for <laughs> uh, uh yeah anyways so it's 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 tracts of land that the state kind of dedicates to grouse and woodcock they they do the proper cutting um thinning of the forest uh ensure that there's good food habitat for the birds um so yeah, if if you're a new newer hunter looking to get into grouse hunting or woodcock hunting, uh, there's no reason not to check out a gems gems parcel and see kind of what to look for in other areas of the state when it comes to bird hunting. Yep. Absolutely. And when you're walking through the woods for grouse, what do you look for when you're hunting them because i've i've never personally hunted grouse i've always wanted to go up north and give it a test run but i've never just had the opportunity yeah so the kind of the cliche thing to say about grouse hunting is to look for uh early successional forests so recent cuts um within the past uh so a, a prime cut prime forest cut might be you know nine years old and so you have aspen that's you know, about the size of your wrist or okay. the standard guy, maybe up to the size of your cap. Yeah. So that range, that, that range of aspen size is really good. And then you're also, if you're hunting later in the year, you're also looking for different food sources. Like, so early in the season, they might be eating berries, so a soft mass, um, a soft mass berry. Where later in the season, after those berries are gone. They might move to acorns, yeah. And so you're also looking not only at the aspen, but you got to kind of pay attention to what time of year it is and what the birds might be eating. So, yep. yeah. What's the limit on grouse out there? 
grouse is five. Oh, wow. Um, you're having you're having a hell of a day if you shoot five <laughs> grouse. Uh, yeah. If oh. you can shoot five grouse, um, you're either a a good shot, or b they're swarming around you like bees, which is great either way. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Do you think uh, Michigan does a good job on making those limits? Do you think they should be less, more? How? What's your thought on that? I, I personally think the limits should should stay the same because, like I said, if you're shooting five grouse, you're having a hell of a day, and it's very, very, extremely rare to shoot five grouse. And I know, and I'm personally one of these hunters. I know a lot of hunters who won't shoot five grouse uh, morally, morally, not not because they can't, not because their dogs can't find them, not because your shooting skills aren't par. Um, just morally, they're a bird that, um, I, they're just kind of a nostalgic, I keep using the word nostalgic, but they're just kind of a nostalgic bird that I'm not hunting a grouse for the food, though I do eat them, obviously, but yeah. it's not like I'm, they're not like my sustenance food. So if I shoot two grouse a day, I'm completely happy. That's completely happy. Absolutely. And is there... So, is there yeah. Oh, no, keep going. Uh, just to answer your question, I, I keep getting off track, but to, to answer your question, I, I'm, I'm good with the five bird limit. It, it doesn't, I, I don't think it really affects the population really at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to hear that. That's yep. good to hear that they're doing a good job on keeping the habitat, like you said, uh, doing the gems, mm-hmm. and that's really good to mm-hmm. hear. Yeah, because we, yep. our pheasants are, our pheasants are, two before like i want to say december 1st you can shoot only two roosters and then once past that till like january 1st which is the end of the season you can shoot three um but i think that's a that's a solid number for minnesota i mean okay three is three is a good day if you shoot your limit that's for sure just yeah for everyone in the group because you see a lot see a lot of hens um and then when you can kick up those roosters you can find them it's it's a lot of fun um yeah as long as you're seeing hens hens are the ones making the baby so yeah exactly uh, it's a good sign if you're seeing hens yeah and is it the grouse is there a difference between the hen and the male like are you can you shoot both of them, or what's the deal with that? Because I've never, never really looked into it. Yeah, the state has it. Um, um, I just completely blanked out. But the state has it, so you can shoot hen or female, or excuse me, hen or male. Okay. Um, it you would you have to be a really solid. You have to have a really good eye to tell the difference between a male and a female bird on the, on the wing. Yeah. Uh, granted, once you start seeing birds uh, day after day, week after week, you'll, you'll start to pick up certain things, like a, a male's uh, tail fan will be bigger yeah. uh, than a female. Um, a, male, a male grouse will be bigger in general. Than, than a female grouse, you know, if they were the same age, 
um, hatched at the same time. A male grouse will be bigger than than a female. Um, but you got you got to you got to see a lot of birds and have a really really sharp eye to tell those differences um, on the wing. So the, the the state allows five birds and sex. Okay. Yeah. And for the what was I going to say? For when you're hunting, when you're hunting grouse, are they? Is there a certain time that they're kind of paired up during that season, or are you kind of kicking mainly one grouse up at a time? The early season, you'll still have broods that are together, so it's not it's not rare, say in September, to kick up one and then all of a sudden four others get up right behind it. Later in October, as, as October starts, um, as you start going through the weeks in October, you'll you'll notice that your birds are becoming more singular. Yeah, and you're 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 just putting up one bird, maybe two birds, um, but the broods really in October start dispersing and uh, looking for their own domain. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's really. That's really cool. I've never, I've always wanted to hunt grouse because I know up at my grandparents' place up north, I'll see them when I'm deer hunting every once in a while, but it's not enough to, for me to go out there and try to shoot them and then kill off the population totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're, um, they're an interesting bird to hunt for sure. It's, uh, if you're looking for meat to, um, how do I want to put it? Meat to energy spent um <laughs> a, a good a good meat to energy spent ratio you don't want to go grouse hunting because they're, they're a tough bird to kill yeah but that's part of the that's part of the draw to them is that they're it's not a gimme bird when you do find a bird they it seems like they know how to put trees between you <laughs> and it so they're a tough bird to kill on the wing yeah uh, but that makes it all the more fun Oh, absolutely. What what gauge do you shoot uh, for woodcock and grouse? I shoot a 20 gauge for both birds, um, woodcock and grouse. I know some guys, if they're going after um, woodcock specifically, um, they'll they'll go to a 28 gauge. Oh, cool. Um, some, yeah, some guys like the lighter 28 gauges. Um, but yeah, me personally, I, I shoot a 20 gauge for both. Yeah. Yeah, yep. during uh, our early season pheasants, I'll I'll have a twenty gauge. But once it gets late, those things get really hard oh, yeah. to hard to yeah. kill, especially if you're hunting public and you have to use only steel shot. Um, they oh, can, oh yeah, yep. They can really take a hit and keep going. <laughs> like oh yeah, yeah. I've um, <laughs> I've, I've tried my hand at pheasant week. There's very sparse populations of pheasant in Michigan, and anytime I, anytime I uh, try going after one of those small populations of pheasant, I, I'm bringing the 12 gauge on it. Though it seems like they're kind of like a turkey, where their their uh, their feathers are like their armor. Yeah. Oh, big time. Me and me and a buddy were out last or two years ago. I want to say, bull shot hit this pheasant on public we were both using steel went down and then we had five dogs with us and they all went right where the pheasant was at and couldn't find the pheasant and just kept on running 
Like they. Well, yeah, it's another thing about them is they love to run. It seems like once they hit the ground. So yeah, yeah, you need out all the power that you can get to kill them. Yeah, they're they're a fun bird to go chase, but they can be they can be a pain in the ass sometimes. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. <laughs> do do that grouse. It, that, that, that's why you, that's why you do it though. Oh, exactly. Just to be able to walk all that land and work the dog and everything like that. It's just fun to. Yep. Fun to go adventure around. Do you guys, we deal with some traps on public land. Do you guys ever run into that? Grouse hunting? Knock on wood. I have not personally ran into a trap, and um, I have nothing against trap trapping. In fact, I am a trapper. Yeah. Um, uh, I just water trapping, but I it, it's a legal means of taking taking some games so I have nothing against trapping absolutely um, but there's there's northern Michigan has a pretty solid population of trappers so it's it, it wouldn't surprise me uh, over the years if if I run into traps it's just um, it's actually kind of just a matter of when yeah. um, as bad as that sounds you just got to be prepared for it and yeah. know what you're doing if your dog does hit a trap um so, yeah, I, I haven't ran into one, but I'm ready for it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We, if I've seen, I think, two traps in my life. Thank God my dog didn't hit them, but they were all in like the deep marsh and they were yeah. staked off and everything, which was nice because then I was like, oh, okay, right over there. Don't want yeah. <laughs> to, don't want to have the dog go run after that. Um, but yeah, thank God. Knock on wood, I haven't, I haven't personally had the dog get into a trap. Yeah, I was listening to your podcast um, several days ago with Project, uh, or not Project Upland, but um, Upland, Upland Inc. Inc. Yeah, yeah, and talking about their some of their trap stories. Maybe the one dog has some bad luck with some traps, <laughs> but uh, thank, thankfully my dog doesn't have that bad luck with traps. Yeah, yeah, it's not ideal. But with skunks and stuff like that too, I ran. My dogs got into some fights with some raccoons and possums and stuff like that. Yep. Where yep. it's yeah, we have uh, we we definitely have those animals. Uh, I'm more worried. Well, skunks would uh, a skunk would suck. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> we we have uh, porcupines. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, porcupine. My dog's gotten into one. He got into one New Year's Eve last year. Oh, um, pretty bad. And so that's that's my main worry right now is porcupines. Yeah, that would that would be not ideal at all. Be, I'd be... No, he's just it's just one of the things you got to be prepared for. You know, they're out there. Um, bring the equipment and the uh, you just get the job done as quickly as possible. And the dog, ninety percent of the time, the dog won't. Um, it won't have real a real effect on the dog. So. Yeah. What are just some? Be of... for it. Oh, keep going. No, I just said uh, I was just gonna say just be prepared for it. Yeah. What is you're saying? You got to be prepared for it. Um, is there any like tools you bring out in the field if your dog gets into a porcupine after your experience? Yeah. So, um, well, it kind of goes hand in hand with traps too. But I always bring uh, a couple of small sections of um, some kind of cording or webbing. Um, 
a lead, a short lead that you can really gain control of your dog with. Yeah. Um, another thing that a lot of a lot of hunters use when they're hunting with dogs is you kind of have a dowel rod, and it might be, you know, about eight inches long, and then on either end, on both ends of the dowel rod, you have cord attached. So. Okay. It's kind of like a, if you're familiar with horses, it's kind of like a bit for a horse. Yeah. You you stick the dowel in the dog's mouth. It gets its jaws open, gets its mouth open because a lot of times the barbs will be in the mouth. Um, so you 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 stick the bit or the dowel in the dog's mouth. You wrap the cords or you attach the cords to the dog's uh, lead or collar, and it keeps its mouth open for you. And then you're your main tool is uh, a pair of uh, pliers or um, um, yeah pliers or uh, a, uh, a leatherman that's a that's a word for a leatherman tool yeah yep yeah like kind of just a, some, just a multi-tool and I always bring two of them just in case one helps out or I you know for some reason left it on the truck I always have two leathermans uh, one on my hip and one in my uh my game my game bag yeah oh i hear you on that i i was looking at some a couple days ago too where they were talking about a dog got pricked and how the pines or like the whatever you call them yeah the pines of the porcupine or whatever when they go in they get stuck because the barbs just like go in and yeah is it is it tough to get those out no, it's if it, you just it's and I've actually been stuck by a porcupine quill, so I kind of know from experience how it feels. It's not pleasant at all. It can't be pleasant <laughs> for the dog. But the best thing for the dog is to get it out quickly and smoothly. Yeah. Um, so with with your leathermen or your pliers, you just got to grab hold of that quill and you, you yank as quickly and smoothly as possible. And you will you'll see a demeanor change in your dog at first when he runs up to you with a bunch of quills in his mouth or on his snout. He'll be freaking out. Yeah. But as you're pull, as you're making headway and pulling quills out of the dog, he will calm down because the pain goes away. Um, it, it it might hurt for a second pulling it out, but it, it relieves. It relieves pain for them as, uh, after you're done pulling them out. So you just got to do it smoothly, quickly. Grab onto the quill with some with some force with your pliers and uh, just do it. it. It's it's not comfortable. You you feel like you're abusing your dog, but you yeah. just got to know in the back of your head that you're doing the right thing for him or her. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, would, that'd be scary for sure to have that happen to a dog because. I, I couldn't imagine getting quilled. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's not a pleasant experience. Like I said, I, I know from personal experience I've been quilled. Um, I accidentally rammed a quill back into my leg Ooh. after I pulled it from my dog. It, it was, I don't know how it happened, but it happened. <laughs> and pulling that quill out out of the inside of my thigh was not comfortable at all, but <laughs> a couple seconds after it was out, it the pain was gone so yeah i feel is it like kind of if you get a hook stuck into you like how the barb kind of you have to just wiggle it out um 
luckily the barb's not that significant, so if you just yank on it smoothly, it'll come out. But yeah, if you look at the end of a porcupine quill, it has very, very tiny barbs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Geez. So it kind of has the same kind of has the same effect as a as a hook, a fish hook. Just not but as a barb's not. Yeah, the barb's not that extreme. Yeah. Well, that's good then. If you just if you can get them out. Yeah, I just I. I've ran into one porcupine in my life trying to track one of my deer that I shot. And I had my dog out, and my dog, there was like a culvert underneath this like running path next to where I hunt. And it was like in the culvert, and I looked in there, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's a big porcupine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stay away. <laughs> my dog was trying to get in there after i'm like nope we're going we're going the opposite direction there big boy <laughs> yep yep just let him be go the other way yeah but that was they're they're such a cool animal though like they're funny they're uh i, I see quite a bit of them um up by my plate it seems like the habitat must be good for them so i see quite a bit of them. they're they're a funny little animal kind of a slow um yeah they're they're cool and just another part of the uh the outdoor experience oh absolutely yeah we we don't see like i said i've only seen one alive one in the wild i see them on the road every once in a while up north dead but they they're there's something else for sure yep but, yeah yep. and i was looking at the picture you had on your website do you have uh like a cowbell on the dog collar. Yep. When, when yeah, that's them? a good way. If you, if he's working close, it's um, my main way of keeping track of them. Is it's uh, yeah, you can call it a little cowbell. Obviously not as big, but yeah, um, yep, it's it's a really popular thing um, for upland hunters, especially in Michigan. I'm not sure in Minnesota. I'm assuming Wisconsin as well. But to have that bell on your dog's collar and it, it's a good way just to track track your dog without having to use um, a GPS. Oh yeah, I can imagine running through the woods, you can lose them pretty quick in those small yeah. oh, small yeah. aspens and the, stuff like that. Yep, early season, thick woods, a lot of leaves. Yeah, you do, I mean the dog goes twenty yards away and you, you can't <laughs> see him. Yeah, does that? Um, do the grouse hear that and ever kind of, do you think that would affect the grouse hunting at all or? It's kind of a, it's kind of a contested or disputed uh, thing. A lot of, a lot of grouse hunters run their dogs or not a lot, but there are grouse hunters that run their dogs silent and just, um, just use a GPS or a beeper collar. I think, I think, Probably over the course of the season, as the season, um, you know, as, as you're getting into late October or uh, December, yeah, a smart grouse, uh, a mature, smart adult grouse, he might catch on to to the ring of a, a bell, but it's kind of a peace of mind thing, um, and I would rather keep track of my dog and um, I, 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 I like the peace of mind of knowing where my dog is at all times. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely, yeah. I just, I was just thinking of some when we get late season pheasants out here. It's like you can't even, like, you gotta shut your door really quiet when you get out of the truck, and then when you're walking too, it's like you're not trying to yell like come or whatever. You're just trying to whistle them back to you if they get a little far, just because those those pheasants get so smart. Yeah, smart. It's. The grouse, the grouse. I if if I had to guess, they probably get smart to it. But um, a smart grouse will make a great grouse dog. Um, uh, the only thing that's going to make a grouse dog are grouse. Yeah, that's, that's the only way you're going to make a good grouse dog is to put your dog on grouse. And so, if the dog can play a cat and mouse game with a grouse and he beats them, it's that's great it just makes your dog that much better yeah it's um, a great feeling yep yeah oh that's awesome though do you guys um do you guys run a lot of like if you're guiding do you ever run more than one dog like if a client comes out and they want to bring a dog do you kind of do that or when you yep. do yep I, I, if, if a client wants to bring his dog um I'm, I'm game for it a lot of times, though, I will ask, um, how about we, you know, I'll go, hey, how about we split up covers? How about my dog runs this cover and your dog runs this uh, or that cover? Yeah. And so, A, you get more um, you get more covers that you can hunt because you don't have two dogs running or multiple dogs running at the same time. And B, I don't, yeah, the client might say, my dog is great with other dogs, but when it comes down <laughs> to it, I don't really know that. So yeah. it's just, it, it's kind of a, uh, a, a way to uh, protect my dog as well. Oh, absolutely. So. I've, yeah, like I've seen dogs get really territorial over birds. and Yeah, territorial or a dog doesn't know and if your dog doesn't honor then so be it it is what it is but a, a dog might not honor still say my dog goes on point and the, a client's dog just comes rushing in because it doesn't know how to honor my dog's point yeah well you, I know what happens but the client might not know what happens and thinks that my dog is the one that busted a bird and it, it can just be a little it's, it can be a little tricky scenario, so I will recommend that dogs run separately if the client's bringing dogs. Yeah. Oh, I hear you on that. Um, yeah, I can imagine different different areas up there cover a lot more cover a lot more ground. Oh, yeah. if, if you're running a couple a dogs. Yeah, a lot com- more ground that you're comfortable yep. with. Um, just like just like pheasants here too. I mean. Just, I like, I'd rather run more dogs if I can find them. If they're like good dogs and they're going to handle dogs, like they know what they're doing. They're not going to run 150 yards in front of us and then like spook up every single bird in that field. And then we don't get a shot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, you gotta, it's a risk or reward. I feel like kind of deal yeah you 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 gotta weigh your um your options and and just figure out what you want and and what you want out of the dogs and the clients and and go from there yep yeah absolutely 
Absolutely. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. I know we did our hour, um, but I want to say thanks for coming on. If there's anything else that you want to share with anyone about upland hunting or fly fishing and also where they can get connected to you if they're trying to book a hunt or a trip with you on the river that'd be great yeah um check out my uh my i I run facebook instagram and the website um the website's just wing and hook and hook.com um uh facebook.com slash wing and hook and that's the same for instagram uh, all my contact information is around those pages. And then um, yeah, I also, on my website, I, I write a little blog every so often about what's happening in the Northwoods, what's happening on the rivers, what are the river conditions, what are the weather conditions. Um, so that's another another good way of kind of gauging when, when a client or, uh, yeah, when a client might want to get out uh, is by reading the blogs. Um, they're usually just short, you know, five-minute reads, nothing crazy. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a way to get a hold of me, and uh, I really appreciate you having me. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. So. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for hopping on, and I'm sure we'll we'll try to get you on for another one here. So it'll be a- Yeah, hey, call me up anytime or if you're ever in the Michigan area call me up let's uh let's hit the river or get in the woods and go on absolutely thanks ethan all right take it easy chance you as well bye yeah so there you have it folks ethan Berger out of northern michigan with fly fishing trips grouse and woodcock trips and he's running his dog all season long using those drift boats and off sable boats which would be really neat to go try out so if you guys are trying to get a hold of him make sure to go check it out i hope everyone's staying safe with the coronavirus and everything um get outside fishing opener here in minnesota so go try to catch some walleyes i know some bass guys are out quite a bit got a couple buddies that have been ripped along the lakes catching small mouse on their spawn and large mouse too as well walleyes walleyes have been biting hot from what i've got the reports on up on malax and lakes all around up north So enjoy fishing opener, everyone. I hope you guys are out on the water or even fly fishing for trout. Get out on the trout streams in southern Minnesota. You got that so much land, so much public easements that you can go fish and enjoy the outdoors with your friends. So stay safe. (laughs) 